0: Well, that's the problem with, that's the problem with a democracy, with a republic, is that the burden is on you now to be informed to how to, to live your life. There's no more comfort in a king telling you what you'll do. There's no more serfdom. There's no more, um, you know, we're going to lay it all out in front of you and you just go right. work in the field and you're good. It's, it's no, you actually have to make the decision yourself. You have to become part of the process. And if you're not, the process will leave you behind. Because the people that are informed, that do care, are going to ultimately run and control it.
1: And welcome everybody to the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. Of course, I'm your host, Andrew Cooperwriter, and I am joined today by State House Representative from the 69th District, Stephen Dome. Good to be here. Uh, thank you for joining us. Anytime. Before we dig down into it, we're going to have a uh, discussion today about gray machine legislation, gambling legislation. We'll take a deep dive. I can tell you. Um, that should be pretty interesting. But before we do that, please like, comment, share, subscribe, um, get it out there. You know, obviously, we do the show every day, and it's important to stay informed on what's going on. So often, people are listening to great shows like uh, a lot of the Daily Wire's content and and Dan Bongino and all these national shows. But at the end of the day, you really can't make a difference on this issue. Um, you know, I know for an example for you. But there's 2,000 people that voted in your election. About uh, in your my primary, primary. about 2,500, right. 2,500 people voted right. in your primary, and how many votes did you get?
0: Uh, 1,369, not that I've memorized the number.
1: <laughs> so just south of 1,370. Yep. 1,370 people, just shy, one shy of that, is what led to this man sitting next to me to be elected. You know, when it comes to Congress, you've got tens of thousands of people that vote. And when it comes to the laws that we see coming down, a lot more of your life is being touched by your state and local governments than you realize. Um, The federal governments really aren't doing as much as you think they are on a lot of things. Now, obviously, they're doing too much now. But anyways, (laughs) that's a different topic. So the point is, is it's important to stay informed. And the number one way you can do that easily, not just by watching the show, but also sharing this stuff out and telling your friends and family about it. Right. With that being stated, let's dig into it now. Well, let hmm.
0: me jump in because you said, so I won yeah. my race by 190 votes. Yeah. That's literally two people out knocking doors one weekend for me. You, 190 you, you, votes. 190 votes. You can swing that. It's two people. Yeah. So, so while my primary opponent was out at Churchill Downs uh, going to the <laughs> Derby, I was out grinding, knocking doors, and that one day may have, may have made all the difference in the election.
1: Absolutely. And, and that does really speak to as well you know, it's funny. So you, you take a look at like the races I've ran in and both races I've ran in have had for some reason, historic amounts of spending yeah. <laughs> in them. Yeah. Uh, both times. Uh, they really knocked it out of the park on spending against me. Um, I don't think anybody else has more records of money spent against <laughs> them, like being broken on the other
0: side. You have a national um, congressional. Yeah. Amount
1: yeah. I mean, the, the size of some of these, I, I think, in the treasurer's race, he spent what three, four, five hundred k. I mean, that's the amount you would spend in congressional primary yeah. all day long. Um, but, but the point is, is that you know, in these bigger races, it's you're you're dealing with a lot of people. But when you come into these House races, you come in sometimes state senate races. I think it really depends on their geographical makeup too, as well. But you know, people talk about money controlling politics, but really, once you get your message. Right. When, when it's just about getting your message to enough people. Right. And when you've got three, four 5,000 people at the most that you're worried about getting your message to, yep. you can just get that through pounding the pavement, and
0: hitting doors. My favorite day in the election was when my friend from Ohio texted me and he said, Hey, I just saw an attack ad against you on the Reds game. And I thought, man, that's great. They're <laughs> wasting money left and right. <laughs> if you're so advertising much on the Reds game in Ohio, a different state, nobody can vote for me. Perfect.
1: Awesome. You. Awesome. Great. Now, um, you took out a a person that was quite loved, obviously, mm-hmm. by the establishment Republicans in the state in the primary process. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody who uh, a lot of people were talking about was a real champion for things like legalized gambling and everything else. Uh, and it's real interesting. In fact, I remember one of my least favorite pundits that pretends to be a Republican. Uh, when Adam uh, Koenig lost, he said, well, you know, he was. Really fighting for those issues like legalized gambling for Kentuckians and uh you all want that done and you really lost somebody that would fight for you on those issues. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting to see how that's played out with you kind of taking over his spot. And obviously we're gonna be talking about gambling and let's first just start with your personal views on what gambling is. And I think I always, before you start, like to frame this in that while we're having the conversation about gambling, it is legal. Right now, for me and you to enter to a card game and gamble. Sure. It is illegal for a business to make money off the process. Right. So I always think that's important for people to kind of frame in as we have the discussion. Um, But what's your viewpoints kind of on gambling in the state?
0: You know, I'm a free market guy. Um, um, I I think that, look, if you want to go gamble, I think you should be allowed to go gamble. Um, Where I live in northern Kentucky, right across the river, we have Ohio, we have Indiana. Both of them have large gambling facilities um, those two cities have not, uh, they've not become the, the dens of sin that that's always accused that they will become. Um, it's also something I don't engage in. I don't sports gamble. I don't, uh, play slot machines. Um, every once in a while, maybe once every three, four five years, I might go play a hand of blackjack or something like that, but it's not something I, I personally do. Um, I see it as a waste of money to be quite honest, but, if you want to go out and do it, you want to have some fun, by all means, go do it.
1: Well, I think also as well, and I've brought this up to people that want to say, look, I'm completely against the expansion of gambling, and I can understand that argument. However, the problem is that as Kentucky sits now and has historically for hundreds of years and has only been reinforced by, unfortunately, some actions taken during this last session and things you've you've started to fight against... Uh, gambling is and has been for over a century legal in Kentucky, Mm -hmm. but it's only been certain people that can do it that because you happen to run a horse track somewhere, you get to gamble, you get to engage in something. um, But you know, I can't run hamsters around a track here in brood and have everybody gamble on it. Right. 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 Um, There's, there is restrictions there. And I always ask people, you know, if, if a bill came down to completely ban all gambling and there would be no more horse tracks or anything else, and a bill came down to allow all gambling, no restrictions by the government, um, that would be an honest conversation. Sure. Because you're not being asked to choose between, well, you're not actually fighting between getting rid of gambling. You're talking about government-enforced monopolies. Right. And that's something you dealt with this session. Now, you had this famous floor speech um real quick so we're gonna play it for them we listened to it before Mm -hmm. but we're gonna play it for them but before i play it for them uh or chunks of it i don't know it's 12 minutes long it was was six it was six minutes long play the whole thing play the whole six minutes okay i'm gonna play the the part where i uh i made a mistake (laughs) okay i'll cut that part out of the speech of the floor (laughs) speech okay um but I'm going to play that for them in a bit. But before they listen to it, what should they know going into listening to your floor speech there?
0: So going into that floor speech, um, it was an interesting day in, in Frankfurt. And we knew that something was going to come to... They were going to try to run the band bill. Um, we didn't know when. There had been talk that we were going to uh, break out. And sometimes what we'll do... Run
1: the... They were going to try to run the band so, bill. So, yeah, so. was framing they? and ban one. Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so house <laughs> leadership was going to try and, and okay. push through the ban bill to ban the, the skill games legislation. Um, or lot, gray machines. Or the gray machines, whatever yeah. you want to call them. Um, and a lot of times before a contravi- controversial bill is is done, we'll break, we'll go into a, the room, the Supreme Court room, and we'll caucus. And so we'll sit and discuss it. Well, we didn't do that. And um, I, had, I had been preparing to stand up, to say something, win or lose, I'm going to at least say my piece. And and speak honestly to the voters and to the people of the state. And uh, where the cards lie, they, they lie. And So that's that's probably what people should know going into it. It was a, a hotly lobbied issue on both sides, the number one uh, most lobbied issue in the state legislature. And, and so there was money on both sides. There was a lot of animosity in. So who were the
1: wh- before? So we have two sides mm-hmm. of this you're talking about, people that want it. Well, really, I would say in the gray machines, there were three sides. Because you had the people who own the gray machines. Mm-hmm. You had the business owners mm-hmm. and Peso matic and mm-hmm. the
0: manufacturers. The distributors. Right? The
1: distributors. You had the horse tracks mm-hmm. who their interest was nothing to do with any kind of... of um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, eth- ethics. Morals. There's no moral objection they had to gambling. They sure. could claim that if they want to, but really... They just were saying, look, we have the, their financial interest in it was they had the HHR slot machines and their belief was it was taking away from people coming to those slot machines.
0: So they created
1: a moral interest.
0: Yeah. Right. But we can talk about that later.
1: Yeah. And then there was a third group that maybe members of were, had a moral interest where they're just saying, look, Mm -hmm. I'm just straight up against gambling completely. Mm -hmm. Any expansion of it I'm against. Mm -hmm. And of course we did see, the horse lobby, taking advantage of these same people, the same people they argued against for HHR legislation. Sure. Um, so those were the three groups going into it, hotly contested. Um, so anyway, so so it's being heavily lobbied going into it, and they kind of spring this bill on you, right?
0: Yep. No, that's a great summary. That's it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you nailed it.
1: <laughs> so so let's go ahead and we'll play that floor speech for them. Okay. Um, and then we can talk about it.
0: Recognize the gentleman from Kenton 69, discussion of the matter. Permission to speak on the bill. Yes, sir. Today, we're presented with a binary choice. A choice between Wild West unregulated gaming or an outright ban. Let me tell you, neither choice is right for Kentucky. But there is a third option. An option not presented by this bill. The regulation and taxation of skilled games. Two bills have been filed in this chamber that would do exactly that. They've not been heard. In our tough economy, many Kentucky small businesses have found a way to offer entertainment to their patrons while creating a much-needed revenue stream through legal, skilled games. When COVID-19 decimated our restaurants and bars, many people lost not only their jobs, but their livelihoods they lost everything they had worked for their entire life to accumulate. This ban on skilled games only serves to punish those Kentuckians for innovating after COVID-19 closed their businesses. For many Kentuckians, skilled games are the difference between shutting their doors or sending their employees home with a paycheck. Skilled games are not gray machines. They do not function in any gray area. The law in Kentucky is very clear. KRS 528.010.4A states, a contest or game in which eligibility to participate is determined by chance, and the ultimate winner is determined by skill shall not be considered gambling. So let's assume for a second, skilled games are illegal. They're here, in truck stops, Bars, restaurants, and gas stations. And no agency is doing anything to stop them. So tell me then, what's the need for another law? What we really need is we need to fund law enforcement to clean up the bad actors. Have we forgotten our history? Those lawmakers that came before us experimented with prohibition, which is exactly what we are asked to consider today. Just over 100 years ago, on January 17th, 1920, our country outlawed alcohol. What followed was the largest rise in organized crime in in our country's history. The rise of the mafia that proliferated every community, including Kentucky. In Northern Kentucky, we're very aware of this history. Before Las Vegas was Sin City, Newport was Sin City. Newport was a hotbed of illegal gambling, bootlegging, and crime. Why did it stop? Why is Newport safe today? The legalization and regulation of alcohol and gambling. Instead of bootleggers, we have New Rift Distillery. Today, the mafia doesn't hire hitmen. They hire tax accountants. The criminals have become productive members of society. An outright ban of skilled games will only increase predatory gaming in our communities. Criminals do not care about laws. In Virginia, skill machines brought more than $130 million in tax revenue the year they were regulated. Virginia subsequently banned those machines. Their conservative governor, Glenn Youngkin, is now reeling in the previous administration and pushing to regulate these machines, realizing the mistakes of the past administration. Sports wagering in Kentucky? is expected to generate $22.5 million a year in revenue, $130 million. Today in Kentucky, we receive no tax receipts on skilled games. And if we decide to ban them, and the, the games will still be here and we'll receive nothing to police them. My bill to tax and regulate skill games would provide funds for law enforcement city and county governments, and a gaming commission to ensure that our citizens are not preyed upon. My bill balances the need between overseeing skilled games while creating a framework for law enforcement to better identify illegal slot machines and receive funding to help them more effectively enforce the law. My bill would eliminate the estimated 225,000 illegal slot machines operating across the state. Oversight and a level playing field are the only means for tackling predatory gambling in Kentucky. This issue has been hotly lobbied. As legislators, we should not be in the business of making policy decisions based on who spends the most money and, the most, and who has the most influence here in the halls of Frankfort. Rather, our attention be focused, should be focused squarely on improving the financial position of small businesses, especially in this time of great need. A ban will destroy thousands of jobs for those that desperately need them and benefits only one giant corporation. This bill to ban skill games presents us with two extreme choices. But I tell you, there is a middle path. Two bills have been filed. I ask that this body join me in having an honest conversation on what regulating these machines looks like in Kentucky. Only one bill has been given the chance to move through the legislative process. But there is another way. Mr. Speaker, I move that this legislation be laid on the table so that this body can consider a third option of taxing and regulating skill games.
1: Okay, so you had motioned to table the bill. Mm -hmm. So for those who I, I guess are unaware of what the process is, the um you know robert's rules of orders types process of the mm-hmm. house what what's the word for that um what parliamentary parliamentary, parliamentary <laughs> procedure yeah so right. explain the par- parliamentary procedure right. coming forward and what you were doing there yeah
0: so first off i didn't use robert's rules to so throw that out it's mason's manual it's a different for state legislatures um we have mason's manual and mason's manual goes through and gives you a whole bunch of different motions that you can make and priorities to them and so um I didn't want to kill the bill. I wasn't trying to shut the bill down altogether. The motion that I made is, hey, let's have an honest conversation about what regulating and taxing skill games looks like. Nobody wanted to have that conversation in Frankfurt. Well, people wanted to have that conversation. The individuals in control didn't want to have that conversation. And so I, I genuinely made that motion with the hope that we would recess, caucus. We would start, start the process of looking at this. Um, we didn't do that. Uh, and so you know that motion to table it's different than a motion to lay on the clerk's desk. a motion to lay on the clerk's desk means it can easily come back. A motion to table means that you have to have fifty one votes to take it back off the table. Mm-hmm. So I was creating a higher standard um, than those others and and doing that intentionally so so that we could at least have some bargaining power there to come back and to have a legitimate conversation on these machines
1: mm-hmm. and it ended up passing what what was the regulation that ended up passing? anyways eventually
0: the regulation that ended up passing it was
1: on gray machines it was an outright ban just banning it completely
0: an outright ban and there were there's some problems with the outright ban because it created carve outs um one of the things that i like to talk about um when i do it so i mean it it just banned the games that were in the 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 burning barrel games that are in Mm -hmm. you know in the bars and the restaurants but it allowed exceptions for things like esports. So if I want to go uh, and get in a John Madden competition and uh, play John Madden against the, the best players in the world, that's a skill game. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, there are some random elements of chance with respect to just a video game in general, um, but it is skill. Ultimately, right. if I'm better at Madden than you, I can win and I can win large sums of money. Um, it's not gambling. It's a game of skill. And that's what the machines are. There is an element of... My skill is the predominant factor in me winning, uh, which is different than um, you know the the illegal slot machines that Churchill Downs has the the, the HHR right. machines um,
1: that so, were illegal. That I think that's important for people to understand. Well, they're not too. slot machines. They're not slot, machi- but they're well, slot machines. But they were. The Supreme Court ruled they were illegal. Right. But the advantage that HHR had over gray machines was that one. Um, there was already a taxing structure in place. So the state was already hooked mm-hmm. on millions of dollars of revenue coming into them. And then two, they belonged to already a very strong lobby, the horse lobby. And, and so they were already had their man and pl- I mean, people, there's right. not one guy who definitely works for them. And is paid millions of dollars of bribes legally from them. And his name is definitely not Senator Damon There, But that to the side, which is ignore the fact they legally bribe our legislators. And it's right there in front of you. But putting that to the side, um, that's one thing gray machines didn't have in front of them. They didn't have the ability um, to, they didn't have that current taxing structure. But the horse, they were doing something illegal. The Supreme Court said it was.
0: And and that was one of the things that I always found to be. um, They would say, you know, we can't just go and these these gray machine people are in here illegally and they didn't come and ask for permission and we can't just let them come in and be legal now. It's kind of, well, that's the same thing that happened with HHR is they went ahead. They did it. They didn't have the legal authority. The Supreme Court struck them down and then they ran a bill through uh, to clean it up and to make it legal. It was just the same thing. It was hypocrisy to be. Well, they honest. held
1: two jobs. They're like, "Oh, we're going to lose thousands of jobs if you don't do yeah. this or that." Of course, and that's that's kind of how it works. Now, I will say, and and what's funny is when you start regulating these things. So these gray machines or skilled games, or you know, you say there's no gray at all. They're a skilled game. That's what's allowed. Um, have you ever played one? No. Okay. I will say there is not much skill involved. That being stated.
0: (laughs) um, But they've got a guy. They literally have a guy that they can bring in and can win every single time. He knows the patterns. He knows. So you can win them. Actually,
1: actually. Okay. So what's funny is, right? The ones I played. And I played them just once Mm -hmm. because people were having this conversation. I was like, well, let's let's see what this is. So it's like a tic-tac-toe board. and It's got, you know, three, Mm -hmm. three across, right? And you had to connect three, basically. So, you know, my 11-year-old could easily do this, right? Yeah. But one thing that's interesting is you could see the next game board hmm. before you played. So you could tell whether or not your next game was going to be a winning game. Yeah. Before you ever put your money in.
0: That's pretty interesting.
1: And that was an interesting dynamic where you're not really gambling. You know whether or not the next game's a winner or a loser. Hmm. I guess what you're really paying for is the ability to see the game after that. Sure. But the problem is, is when you're carving out, as you said, um, things like for esports. So what they're saying is there's a certain level of, of skill that is acceptable in gambling. So, so who, who's regulating, where's that line? Yeah. Where does it cross over into this is too difficult? Like, do they, do they bring in, like, a 15-year-old? Well, that wouldn't work for video games. Uh, bring, right, like, like, how do they test whether or not a, a game involves skill or not?
0: Th- there is no there is no test, as far as I know. Um, it, it, it's it's a rule of thumb thing that you're going to have to challenge in, that you're going to have to have somebody, either a, a prosecutor or a judge, make that determination. And that's early on in the issue. That, that was one of the things that the... Um, I think it's the the skilled gaming, the merchants, um, whatever their pack is, they went around the state and they met with county attorneys and they educated them on the machines. And I think there was one instance where a county attorney did actually go in and seize the machines. And then they brought their people in. They showed, hey, these are games of skill. They're not gambling. Uh, and the prosecutor released the machines and they all went on about their merry way. So there, there, it would be a judicial determination as to whether or not that is a game of skill or a game of chance
1: well they're they're so Peso matic mm-hmm. and others are suing right now mm-hmm. in court um do you know anything about that case
0: uh, all that i know is that the case is i mean i've, I've read the pleadings but there's been you're no also action. a lawyer I'm a, people should know that i'm a lawyer yeah, yeah. so i i read the pleadings <laughs> a lot um there's no action at this time as to whether or not the games uh, or whether or not the legislation that was passed is constitutional. There is a preliminary hurdle that they have to get over. Another bill that we passed um, allows for uh, a case to be transferred from one jurisdiction to the other upon motion of a party. Yeah. And so
1: two years ago or so.
0: No, we, we passed it this session. It was a Senate bill. I, I'm blanking on the number. Uh, oh, it, it might was have been,
1: passed two years ago and then it was challenged. I believe.
0: I, well, we, we just passed this one, this session. And so, they are uh, they're litigating that issue first. There's been a, a motion to move it out of Franklin Circuit, and so they're they have to fight that preliminary issue. I think that's been granted um, cert, is what I'll call yeah. it as a lawyer, but that means it's going up to the Supreme Court to be decided. And then they have to figure that issue out first, and then they'll look at the skill games legislation. So it's mm-hmm. got a long runway.
1: It's uh, it's it's definitely interesting. I person I know as a gas station that Mm -hmm. put these machines in and Mm -hmm. i mean he was saying hey we're earning as much as ten thousand dollars a month with these machines in there now taking that away certainly is an issue now there are people though who would say look and and i'm going to argue back a point here and and say banning the gray machines at least the horse tracks are farther away from the communities these gray machines are able to Walk right around the corner and do it. And these communities are already poor and on welfare and everything else, and it's taking advantage of them. What, what do you say back to somebody who's arguing more the moral aspect
0: of it? I mean, I I live one mile away. I mean, literally one mile away from one of Churchill Downs facilities. Um, my community's safe. My community's fine. Um, we don't have rampant crime. I, I did notice a lot more. Uh garbage and trash in my yard, particularly, you know, some of these, you have three cents left on your little ticket here. You didn't go redeem at the station. But, um, other than that, that bit of garbage, I mean, there's no significant crime impact. There's also a number of bars and restaurants up the street from me that did have the skill games. And I, I didn't notice an uptick uh, in crime. I was on Erlanger city council at the time that, that these were going on before I became a state legislator. And there was no public concern over these machines in our community. And so, you know, I, I, I don't see them as a significant moral hazard. I think that there was an argument they were that I think that was manufactured, um, you know, people breaking into uh, convenience stores and trying to steal the machines out because they have cash in them. Well, that's always happened with, um, with ATM machines and we're not banning ATM machines. So I think it was just a manufactured cause for concern that, that these machines would lead to any moral panic in our society.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, one thing I've always kind of said when it comes to gambling, because, because there's arguments over whether or not, what levels should government have in regulation? And one argument I've struggled with myself on why I'd be for some government regulation of it, or even banning it or Mm -hmm. something along those lines. And, and granted, as I said, it's not a real honest discussion, unless we're talking about ending the horse gambling and all the gambling completely. What's, what is the moral difference between one or the other? So, if we're just talking about creating government monopolies, that's of some concern. But is that you know these individuals? If if you made the decisions and it was just on you, um, then yeah, go for it. I have no reason to intercede in your life. Mm-hmm. But when we have such a large welfare state, sure. where you and I do have to pay for these people, and and you look at something like skilled games, or you look at something like even the HHR machines, the slot machines, those are not. Um, I mean just just the stats say these are people who are generally on some sort of government assistance or a large percentage of them are enough that it's worth having discussion of. Does that mean that it opens us up to have some say so on how they spend their money because they're spending our money
0: i don't know I don't know enough about that um, in terms of looking at numbers so beyond being a lawyer, I have a background in economics but no i i, I don't I don't know enough um in terms of what percent of people on was that government? never brought
1: up in the argument? Nobody no. brought forward any kind of stats no. on percentage of use of people on government assistance. No.
0: no, because that was never the argument. The argument was does. Oh, Kirt so channel- I'm arguing
1: like a person who You're, honestly it, believes there's maybe yeah. a reason
0: for me to get yeah. involved in that decision. Process. You're approaching this from like a, a rational how do we craft the best policy argument? Yeah. When in reality, the battle was who has the most power. Um, who who can. Force a body of 100 people, or at least 51, or ultimately, I think it was 60 to just bend to their will. I mean, that's what the battle was. That's why it was the most hotly lobbied issue. Mm -hmm. It was how can we bend these people that really are probably pretty agnostic to the issue? I mean, the other legislators didn't want to vote on that bill. There were legislators that voted with me to table my legislation and then later gladly. Voted to ban the machines uh, on their own free will, no arm twisting, because th- they thought that was the right thing. But they didn't want to engage in the debate because they just saw it as okay. This is Churchill Downs asking for more from us, and and they didn't didn't have any interest whatsoever in the topic.
1: Well, you also have, I mean, as we've stated, you have a group that I mean is willing to spend millions. I I, I think this goes into the overall, when people talk about money running politics, Mm -hmm. it's not as much that money runs politics. I mean, let's call spade a spade. It's that the average voter is very uninformed. Yeah. And they walk in and, and, and they think looking at these mailers, they get in the mailbox and these TV ads on TV or the ad that comes across their website and they've seen them or even they've heard this person give a three minute speech. That's my favorite. When I was on the trail, and I'm doing the, the treasures race and, and, you know, people are turning out they're like, well, I'm here to hear the governor so I can pick between them. And then they stand up there and they give the governors four or five minutes and they listen to him. Then they walk away and they're like, I'm now an informed voter. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you're the, you're, you are worse informed mm-hmm. than everybody else because you sat through four minutes of each person's perfectly crafted, whatever, and a culture that exists in our parties that if you talk negative, at all if you Mm -hmm. even point out something that your other person has done um you are now talking negative and Mm -hmm. and and you know you have that culture to a degree but um and you have people walking away saying well i'm well informed
0: yeah i I mean that's i really i really like where i'm at as a state rep because i have to go out of campaign and and i wouldn't say that the average voter is not informed i just say the average person's not informed right i when i went you know 2500 people that I had to convince at least half plus one to vote for me. um, They did seem pretty informed of the issues that, that core group of primary voters. They did know what was going on uh, to some extent that the, you know, my opponent being a big sports betting guy that came up a lot at the door. And Mm -hmm. my answer was always, yeah, I'm for it. So, well, and,
1: I don't think maybe not uninformed is quite the right answer. I guess busy because yeah, I mean how do me you know the voters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not uninformed, that. busy. They're busy because it's hard. I mean,
0: yeah. look. Well, that's the problem with that's the problem with a democracy with a republic is that the burden is on you now to be informed to how to to live your life. There's no more comfort in a king telling you what you'll do. There's no more serfdom. There's no more um you know, we're going to lay it all out in front of you and you just go work right. in the field and you're good. It's it's no, you actually have to make the decision yourself. You have to become part of the process. And if you're not, the bot process will leave you behind because the people that are informed that do care are going to ultimately run it and control it. And
1: being part of the process means you you have to, you've got to be watching committee hearings. You've got to be tracking bill. I, I always give this example. when When people talk to me about, you know, how, how do I explain, how do I inform somebody on what's going on? And an example I bring up was Matlock, it's BR-69 from 2021 or 22. I think it's 2022. Matlock, it's BR-69. I think it turned into House Bill 30 that year. And it was a bill to ban CRT teaching. So the bill was specifically, it would be illegal in our public schools to teach that one race is inherently better or worse than another race. Great bill, fine bill, Mm -hmm. right? Everybody should be able to agree with that idea. Um, And that bill behind the scenes was killed because it had, and it created too much cause of action for citizens to be able to hold their schools accountable. And instead the bill put forward was Max wise's bill that didn't actually deal with anything CRT, All it did was says, you have to teach this list of things. And the entire list was all things I already learned in school. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't know that they weren't required to teach that. But, you know, it was this list of completely non-objectionable things. Yep. And the reason why that bill got pushed forward, because it did nothing. But it gave everybody the ability to come back and say, we dealt with CRT, the liberal media. They got involved in that process Mm -hmm. because, of course, anything that slightly whiffs of them doing something, Mm -hmm. they freak out about. And what is the legislators like you going to do? Go home and say, no, we, that number one thing you cared about, we did nothing about it.
0: We gave you a half effort on it. Not even a half half.
1: effort. No, you're going to pound your chest and say, yeah, we did it. Look at us. And and there was an article wrote about a year ago that was from the Louisville union boss for the schools. And he was laughing about Max Wise's bill Mm -hmm. in the article. Mm -hmm. And he said that bill was great. It satiated the Mm rights CRT frothing at the mouth, and it didn't do anything. Yeah. And we've never had to deal with the issue since. Yep. Because of that. And, but how do you inform somebody that, no, there was two bills. Right. And they killed one bill, and they pushed forward a bill that did nothing, and now they're all lying to you.
0: Well, here's a perfect example, right? It's, um, Robbie Mills, our our new lieutenant governor candidate, Uh a few years back, he, he, passed uh, Senate Bill 83, the Save Women's Sports Act, and uh, my primary opponent voted four times for the Save Women's Sports Act that banned men from competing in women's college sports. While at the same time, my primary opponent filed Floor Amendment 2 to House Bill 23, the same exact bill as House B- or Senate Bill 83, but it allowed men to compete in women's college sports. So... Uh, the former rep for the 69th district, uh, he, he, he he filed legislation, right? And it's a technical argument that I'm making to the voter as I'm mm-hmm. saying to them, look, he's telling you by looking at his voting record that he doesn't believe men should compete in women's college sports. But when you look at the legislation he's actually filed and here's a copy of it, by the way, I'm at the front door with it. It's got his name on it. Then the voters, they're, uh, they're, they are they're understand it. Their light clicks on and you could see it and, and they would get upset. That they've been lied to uh, by him. Well, I think
1: they expect to be lied to by a politician too. I think I think there is well, a degree yeah, of, the,
0: and what I mean is, is there are, su- we're, we we are suspect and yeah. and we should be, and the voters should be highly suspect as to what we're saying, and they right. should monitor us and. and well, do their that, work.
1: that's what I mean. That if if somebody's able to get in front of them and mm-hmm. show them a concrete evidence mm-hmm. like a voting record, yep. I find most of the time. Uh, they can be swayed to understand what's going on. Yep, I say most of the time. Uh, there are still some times where that you have people that it's it's. I think uh, what was that old Mark Twain quote? Tw- quote: It's easier to uh, fool a person than convince them they've been fooled. And <laughs> okay. I think I think that's that's to yeah. a degree an issue. Um, so how do you how do you see that shifting on a mass scale? I mean, we we're coming into possibly an era of Kentucky politics where Republicans are in all facets of power. Mm -hmm. And it's really going to come down to, uh, for for some time, having discussions about these Republican legislators and how they're voting and why it is that this is a half measure. I mean, Senate Bill 150, which everybody parades right now, Mm I mean, do you want to explain to listeners what actually happened to make that bill happen and how leadership didn't want that bill
0: to happen? Sure. So Senate Bill 150, I, I remember sitting down with some educators and going over. The, at the time, there was um, there were three competing bills, two out of the House, one out of the Senate. And and they said, you know, uh, and I can't remember the numbers, but the two House bills, they were like, hey, look, these are too far for us. We, we, we don't want those in our school. We, we're going to have a lot of trouble implementing those. And then I said, well, what do you think about Senate Bill 150? And they go, well, we don't like it, but we're already doing it all. And I kind of thought, well, so then what's the rub on it? They're like, well, uh, we can live with it. It's And I thought, well, this bill does nothing then. And I hadn't read it yet. And I kind of thought, well, okay, so then now let me figure out what the differences are. So we ultimately... Wasn't um,
1: that another max-wise education bill?
0: Senate Bill 150 was, yeah, max-wise education mm-hmm. bill. And, uh, okay. and, so, and, and it was a good bill. Yeah. I mean... It, And let me clarify that my statement was the educators I was talking to, they're already doing it right. They were already making sure that that they weren't, that we weren't teaching silly stuff in schools and that we were already addressing issues with, with trans kids and making sure that there was communication between the parents and doing a great job in the schools. Um, And so, you know, we had um, a Senate bill come through that was going to come through no matter what it was Senate bill five. And what it did is it created a procedure for, parents to complain about books in schools yeah and so uh josh calloway the great josh calloway he got his hands on some floor amendments about four of them and uh gave a, a wonderful 30 minute floor speech second greatest floor speech given given that legislative After yourself. session behind mine yeah of course and uh and he gave just an impassioned 30 minute floor speech and started calling these amendments one by one um and you know he he put people on the record for things like do you want to ban drag shows? Do you want to um, allow men uh, or young boys to, to use the same bathroom as your daughter? Uh, all all these issues, he brought them up one by one, and each one of them subsequently failed. Um, the very next day, I, I think House leadership realized the mistake that they had made in, in not putting forward a solid bill out of the House, um, You know, went back and, and ran the new version of Senate Bill 150. Which contained some of those provisions that we had fought for there on the floor, um, and ultimately we were able to move the needle on that issue in a conservative way, uh, whereas it just wasn't going to happen but for our work there.
1: But the speculation is is that Josh mm-hmm. Felicia I'm sorry, representative Coway, representative Rayborn, Felicia Rayborn, and some others, sure got.
0: Myself included.
1: Yourself included. Yeah. Got removed off committees. Now yours was because you dared to go again. speculation is, Mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not going to tell you who's speculating it, Mm -hmm. but my speculation and you don't have to confirm is that that was because one of their great lobbying groups, the horse lobby wanted this to happen Mm -hmm. and you coming through and tabling that uh, it was almost a demand that look, this is a new guy. We got to get him in order if he's going to continue to be a problem to this very powerful lobby that and, and i think too, people have to understand that the control that people ask why does leadership have so much control and it's because they control the um see c mm-hmm. c c three C's, house republican caucus campaign campaign committee. caucus yep. committee yeah yep. h r c c c and the s r c c c in the senate And, you know, these are funds that they can spend unlimited amounts that they want to uh, in races in the house. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's much the same way people ask, why does Mitch McConnell have so much control over politics? It's because he is controlling flow of the donors Mm -hmm. and leadership maintains its control because it controls the flow of the donors down to these other reps. And in order to maintain that control, you have to do what the donors ask you to do in order to keep that money flowing, because that's what keeps your control going. I think that's important for people to understand. And that's why I believe you standing up and saying, um, you know, you uh, tabling that bill that they wanted passed. They said, look, we got to show that we will, there are repercussions. We got to show our donors that are giving us the money to maintain control that there are repercussions for actions.
0: Right. Except I beat all their donors. Of course, I mean, they spent $350,000 between, you know, the the individual candidate and through PACs and lobbyists and we raised 50,000 and yeah, we do listen to our donors. I listened to my donors that donated, uh, and, and helped me raise that sum of money to replace somebody that just wasn't getting the job done for the people. Um, and so yeah, clearly, you know, I, I tabled, um, house bill 594. It was the very last bill filed in the legislative session. I wonder why. And, uh, you know, the moment I did it, I, I honestly became a rock star. I started just getting random campaign contributions from people <laughs> as a result of it um, because they loved that somebody would go down there and fight and actually go up against um, the big corporate powers that that run everything. Um, and so what you were alluding to on uh, the Senate Bill 5 is there was a motion made by Representative Rayborn to challenge the rule of the Speaker. So Josh Calloway, Representative Calloway, had... Um, uh, he called for a floor amendment and and we asked to suspend the rules in order to vote on it. And the speaker ruled that the bill was not germane. Um, this is a lot of inside baseball. It wasn't germane to the bill. So the speaker thought, well, what um, the content of the floor amendment doesn't match the content of the bill. And so we can't just have these, you know, Frankenstein monsters come through the legislation, mm-hmm. the legislator and, and, you know, he, he killed it on his own. And uh, Representative Rayborn challenged that and said, hey, I think that it actually does relate to the content of the bill, and I want everybody to take a vote. Um, Josh Calloway had co-sponsored that, or or he seconded that motion. Mm -hmm. And uh, so then, you know, it's an awkward procedure where the speaker has to step down, the pro tem has to come up, all debate has to cease, and we have to take a vote at that moment as to whether or not the speaker was right. Ultimately, the body said the speaker was right. Um, but there were a number of representatives that voted against the speaker and said, Hey, we, we think you're wrong. We think this is germane and and we want this piece of legislation to come before the body for a vote. Um, and, and as a result of that, um, a number of legislators were kicked off their committee. It's hard to say exactly why, unless you've been told, uh, why you were kicked off, why some of the legislators were kicked off. Um, one, one representative didn't vote, uh, against leadership on on the challenge of the speaker and she was kicked off committees
1: well she was kicked off oh, committees though for what was it calling um the neanderthals comment i don't know wasn't that what representative kim Moser was kicked off for
0: i don't know that i don't know that she was i mean I've, it's not been confirmed to it'd me be I, it, because, I always
1: thought it was odd though for kim Moser to be kicked off committee because she's pretty in there with them
0: she she works well with leadership and so, um, I don't think that that's why she was kicked off her committee. To be quite honest, um, I I heard the Neanderthal comment, and I kind of chuckled. I I don't care if you call me yeah. the Neanderthal. I don't I don't have a problem with people using colorful language. Do you want to tell floor. people
1: what we mean by the Neanderthal comment?
0: Oh, so um, there was a there was a bill that um, that was going to ban um, surgeries on on minors, and and it did create some. and, and why Kim was so upset with it was that it it put some severe regulations on the medical industry and she she does very good work in, in healthcare care she's a she, i think she's a nurse and so she was upset about that and um that's that she just thought we were setting our state back i disagreed with her and voted what well, was way. weird
1: is in her floor speech where she said that to those she said to those that are watching kentucky i want you to know we're not all neanderthals
0: if that if she's voting I disagree with her policy position. Sure. 100% I voted the other way a number of times. Right. But you shouldn't
1: be removed off a committee for just having a different opinion.
0: We were sent there to to represent the voters of our district. If right. she's not representing the voters of our district, then then they should vote her out, right? Right. Uh, and that's and same with me, same with any politician. If you're not doing the job, you should be voted out. Um but if she is in fact doing the job, then she'll probably win re-election and and it'll blow over. Um, but I don't think that she was removed from her committees because she said uh, Neanderthal. I don't think I was removed from my committees because I tabled a piece of legislation. I've been told that it's why, but I don't think that's the case. I don't think Josh Calloway and Felicia Rayborn were removed from their committees because they uh, challenged the rule of the speaker. Uh, I I don't know why Nancy Tate was removed from her committees. Um, So why do you think they were removed? Because we're willing to stand up for whatever it is that we believe, we're willing to lock our feet in the ground and we're willing to fight for that cause. And that can't happen in a body of 80 people. Uh, it just can't. You might as well get rid of R's versus D's when you have a, a, an R-controlled legislature of 80 votes. You can literally ignore 39 members of your own caucus and pass whatever bill you want. Um, it, it is There are too many people in the republican caucus to control and i and i would i'd love to have a hundred of them but um it's just too hard for leadership they can't control us and they have to put some heads on a pike and show that they're the ones in charge and show that they're the boss and they are i get it for now Um, but i think that you're gonna see there was a lot of backlash in the caucus i had representatives reach out to me that i really didn't get a lot of time talking to during the session um and they they express sympathies and even every time I go down in Frankfurt now, um people are like, hey, where you been? And I say, well, I only have one committee, so you know I only get a couple of days down here. Um, and then they just kind of roll their eyes at the the joke that it is that we were removed. Um, you know they they attack the caucus is what they don't realize, and it's I think it's backfired on them pretty significantly.
1: Daily Wire a oh, month or two or three ago, they did an in depth look. At supermajority Republican legislators versus slim majority mm-hmm. Republican states mm-hmm. in the legislatures. And what they found was that the slim majority Republicans were more conservative, mm-hmm. got more conservative things done than the states that had supermajorities like Kentucky.
0: I'm aware of this.
1: Um, why do you think that is the case?
0: I think it's easy to to slide by, right? So, and this was my problem that I had with um House Bill and Senate Bill 50 that would have created um partisan elections all across the board in Kentucky for, you know, local government spots. Um because what you're going to have is you're going to have people that don't necessarily share the views of the party uh show up with the R name tag with the R next to their name and get elected. Um, Heck, I saw it on our on city council all the time. I mean, there were some people on there that that definitely had some Democrat leanings, but you know, promoted themselves as the greatest Republicans. I see it in Frankfurt all the time. Sure. Um and, and that's probably what it is. It's that you can now ignore large portions of the actual conservatives, and you can fight against yourselves and you can move yourselves away from that, that conservative standpoint. Whereas when it's a slim majority, You've got to go back and you've got to face the voters to get back into your seat. And if you don't do the things that you promised, then you're done.
1: If there's a thought process amongst, you know, the Republicans that have been there for a long time Mm. and, you know, they've seen the Democrats go very far in one direction and they believe that that led to their demise. And so not, Realizing that going back in the other direction, then mm-hmm. even to the extreme, but where everybody wanted you to be at, wouldn't be that bad. But it's almost like this, and we hear Mitch McConnell say it all this time: "This well, the Republicans are the adults in the room." Mm-hmm. Or when uh, Andy Bashir was the the option was being faced for Andy Bashir to be impeached by the House. One of the things that uh, Senator Thayer said. At a meeting I was at, was that under no circumstance will they be impeaching Bashir before they've even heard any evidence. Mm-hmm. See, that's what he said. He said, "We're not impeaching Bashir," and people asked why, and he said, "Well, that'd make us no better than the Democrats." That was his first reasoning. Mm-hmm. Not he didn't do anything impeachable or anything like that. Just because he said that's what Democrats do, that's not what Republicans do. Sure, I concern. I have concern that this adults in the room idea mindset stops us from doing important things while we have the power and not recognizing it is inevitable at one point, Democrats had 80 seats in the house, mm-hmm. it is inevitable that the pendulum swings back the other way. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you hope to get accomplished as state house rep? What do you, what do you hope to get accomplished? Uh, you know, big things you hope to get done over the next few years.
0: That's always a question that, that, that people ask me and I don't have, a signature issue. Uh, I really don't. And and it's because I'm not I'm not there for a reason. I'm there because I don't want anybody else who's worse than me to have the seat. Uh, I, I really didn't want, want to be a state rep. It's pretty, actually, it's pretty, it, it stinks. Um, you know, I had a six month old at the time that I first filed. And, uh, you know, I, I lost out on the campaign trail. I lost a lot of time with him that I'll never get back. Um, I, I, literally did it because the guy that was in there was a jerk and he lost sight of the people and he didn't care about them. And so I, I went and I said, all right, someone's got to step up. Somebody's got to take this seat and I've got the credentials to do it. So I'll do it. Um, and, and that's my mindset going into it is I just want to make sure that the laws that come out, the laws that I argue in the courtroom that I fight against or fight for in the courtroom, um, that I, that I enforce in some respects. I want to make sure they're good laws, they're written well, uh, that there's not these unintended loopholes or consequences that come out of it. And so that's really my signature thing is just to, to watch and to monitor and make sure that what we're doing is consistent, is constitutional, and is good legislation for the people.
1: What is, uh, what do you think the greatest threat that citizens should be watching out for from this current legislature is?
0: Um, that's a good question. Uh, it, the continued erosion of um of independent like freedom of independent thought um and and the and ceding power to corporate interest i think that's really it that's the, that's probably the most insidious thing and it's why i fought so hard against the the ban bill mm-hmm. because i saw it as one corporate entity with all the power and the money coming in and telling mom and pop what they can and can't do with their business yeah and i had a problem with that a big problem with that and i and i still do Uh, And so that that's really the big thing. And it's so easy because it's an issue nobody really cared about unless it directly impacted you, uh, whether or not, you know, these these gray machines can exist. So that's it. You know that I mean, that's really it. You just watch watch the moves we make and watch the inconsequential moves that we make because we're not doing it for no reason. There's a there's a significant reason behind it. It's because somebody's asked us to make sure that that doesn't happen
1: do you think, um, how do I say this? Do you think, so looking at the governor's race, Mm -hmm. looking at some other aspects of Mm -hmm. things, um, one, do you, what do you look at the governor's race? You think, um, Cameron's got in the bag. Do you think, uh, Bashir's got in the
0: bag? What do you think? I think it all comes down to Northern Kentucky and it comes to voter turnout. My district particularly, you know, I grew up in Erlinger and Ellesmere. Um, I worked for Matt Bevin. Um, but let me preface this by saying, I run and I run a lot and I run a lot in my district. So I know what's going on on the streets just about every single day. Right. Um, and in 2019, I was running and man, I saw four, sorry, I saw 20 Andy Bashir signs for every one Matt Bevin sign one day. And I knew instantly Matt Bevin had lost Erlinger. Um, no chance that he was going to win it, no chance he was going to win Ellesmere. It was game over. The election was a wrap. And I'm in a and I'm in a 60% Republican district. So if Andy's gonna win that big over over a conservative like Matt Bevan, you know, it's game over. And sure enough, you know, he lost by five thousand votes, and those five thousand votes came out of northern Kentucky. They they the Republicans went Democrat. Um in my district, one precinct went for Matt Bevan. Uh the other Erlinger and Ellesmere precincts all went for Andy Bashir. Uh when I ran against the Democrat in the fall. I won every single precinct red. One went for the Democrat. And so that's really the battleground. I mean, my district is the battleground. And when I talk to people out there, um, they kind of say, I'm not sure what Andy's done wrong. I'm not sure what, uh, I'm not sure why we need to get rid of him. I'm not sure why we need to get, to get him out of there. Um, But you look at, at Cameron and Cameron, Cameron can, Unite the Republican Party if he if he really wants to. If he tries, I think he's trying to. Um, it's just a matter of him listening to the people like me, um, like Marianne Proctor, like Steve Rawlings, like the folks that have just won elections in Northern Kentucky because we're the ones that just most recently experienced what people want. You know, the the game has changed. The political game has changed since um, the last big statewide elections, since Mitch McConnell got elected, since since Andy Bashir got elected the, the COVID has really changed a lot of things up there. And so there's a new message that needs to be delivered to those people. And it's going to be really important that Cameron tap into that message. Um, if he wants to beat Andy.
1: Do you, so when, when you're talking to people and they say, I don't know what Andy's done bad mm-hmm. and you know, an obvious response is the COVID response. Sure. Sure. Do you think people just kind of that left their mind or do you think, there's a part of people as much as partisanship comes into it, they look at it and they ask an important question, a question that I myself wonder Mm -hmm. would a Republican governor really had done differently. And, you know, you look at governors like governor of Indiana, Ohio, Mm -hmm. you know, they did things too that, um, you know, I think the second lockdown was obviously too far, Mm -hmm. but, you know, I think that's maybe a question in the back of their conscience. Mm-hmm. But w- when you when you bring up COVID items like that to them, what is, what is their response?
0: Um, so in my primary, it did matter. And I think that it mattered um, in a large degree that that got me over the hump. Um, you know, I, earlier I quipped that me knocking one day is what won it. But uh, but really, I think it was it came down to policy and it came down to people who were sick and tired of the lockdowns, but, and even I, who opposed the lockdowns from the beginning, um, even I've kind of forgotten what it was like Um, because I didn't, I never shut down. I never had a particular, you know, lawyers were still practicing law. The courts were still open. They were in zoom, but it was still open. And so I I think that people that didn't really experience it the way you experienced it have kind of forgotten that a little bit. Um, And it's worn off. Uh, to some extent and so when we talk about it we've got to talk about it in ways that relate to where people currently are and what it ultimately was it was it was too much government overreach too much control in your life too much dictation and that's what upset people and so when i think that cameron's really got to get to where he's touching on those issues of too much government overreach we need to return it back to the local people we need to make sure that um you know, we're not using our power as governor to pick winners and losers. That's really got to be the message. And that's where you can expose Andy Bashir for what he is, um, where he's, you know, he's used, he's weaponized and and politicized the Department of Education. Really, that's what this, this election should be about. It should be about parents control over their children's state education. Um, and it's just, you know, there's been a lot of difficulty in framing the issue that way.
1: Well, thank you for joining us uh, and coming in today and taking a moment to talk to everybody. Um, where can people find you at?
0: You can find me on uh, on Twitter. I'm at Steve Doan Law. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. I'm sure you just you know, Google me. I'll be on there. And you can always send uh, comments to my state legislator email. It's Stephen, S-T-E-V-E-N dot D-O-A-N at L-R-C dot K-Y dot gov.
1: Awesome. Great. And uh, well, thanks for joining us and we'll have to have you Back on as it gets closer to session. Anytime. As you get some bills out there, maybe you want a little bit of push on from the citizens. We'll have to have you back on. Of course. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Yep.